All right, well, welcome. I guess we'll go ahead and get started. This is the after lunch crowd. You guys have a good lunch, I hope? Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I had Duke, so I'm a little full. So if I fall asleep during this uh, class, feel free to go ahead and we'll take make your exit. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you for coming. Really glad uh, you guys are here today. This class is called Seeing Jesus. And so if you thought you were coming to a different class, you can make a quick exit. No hard feelings. Um, my name is Corey Trevathan. I am the preaching minister for the Riverside Church of Christ in Coppell, Texas. Coppell is uh, right outside of Dallas, about 10 minutes from DFW. So if you're ever flying through, uh, give me a call, and uh, we'll take you out to eat or something fun like that. But um, love it there. Been there the last uh, four years almost, which is crazy to think about. But it's been a huge blessing for me and my family. And I thought I would just start by showing you a picture, if this works here, uh, of uh, our family, just to let you get to know me a little better. Uh, my wife, Alicia, is a kindergarten teacher uh, in Capel, where we live, and she is fantastic uh, at that. Uh, my kids, Will, uh, Ella Grace, and Emma Love. Will is a uh, baseball player, loves baseball. You hear us talking about that, and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun getting to watch him. And now I'm coaching him, which is hilarious when you realize how little I know about baseball. But uh, don't tell the other parents, and we'll be fine. Uh, Ella Grace is, uh, turns 11 Monday, so excited about that. Hard to believe that. And then Emma Love is 8 years old. They're both big time into dance. So as you can imagine, our days and our weeks are completely full. Every night is booked with something fun that we're doing uh, with the kids. But it's really a sweet season of life, and we, uh, we, really, we really do love it, and we really do enjoy it. Um, today, what I want to talk about, uh, just for a few minutes, is this idea of seeing Jesus. And uh, that may be a bit of an interesting title for you. I don't know uh, what you think of when you hear those words. Uh, but I do think this is something that um, we can lean into. Uh, is it possible for us to, to see Jesus? Uh, I love what Augustine said, and we'll start with this quote. He said, faith is to believe what you do not see, and the reward of this faith is then to see what you believe. Um, is it possible for us to see Jesus and to, to have this kind of relationship where we can know him in this way? Uh, this really, just to give you a little background, this, the title in, in this class and this, this idea really comes for me from, um, from a time in my life when I was praying this prayer, Jesus, I want to see you, and, and really just wanting to, um, to have that experience of, of knowing him in a new way, uh, if that makes any sense at all. I uh, grew up knowing Jesus my whole life. You know, my dad was a preacher for a little while, and then became a Bible teacher and a chorus director at the school that I attended, K-12. through So I, I've always you know, been around Jesus and known Jesus, but I had a desire years ago to really experience that in a new way. And I began praying this prayer, Jesus, I want to see you. And then last October, my wife and I had an incredible opportunity to go uh, to Israel. Any of you guys been to Israel? Um, it was an incredible experience for us uh, in October to go. And, and I knew going there was going to be life-changing. I was excited about what we would learn. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to know more, to grow, and to learn more, to see more. And it was fun. I'll, I'll just show you a few quick pictures just to to, get, to give you a taste of it. Uh, it was exciting to go to Capernaum to see where Jesus lived, where he performed so many miracles and did so much of his ministry there. Some of, so much of it you know, revolved around that, uh, that place in, in that area there in Galilee. To go from there to actual, actually sail on the Sea of Galilee, uh, we got to go out on a boat, and I was probably the only person there hoping a storm would blow up, and uh, you know, we would see somebody walking on the water. That didn't happen. Uh, but it was cool to be there and uh, see the sunset and to have some bread, to have some wine, to have communion, to have worship right there on the Sea of Galilee as the sunset. It was just a beautiful, something that you know, we'll never forget. It was cool to go and you know, pray in the Mount of Olives 
and experience just the silence of that garden and to be there in that moment and to read the prayer that Jesus prayed. Uh, it was just a powerful moment. It was powerful to go to Golgotha to see the place. Or, you know, if it wasn't there, you know, you're within 100 yards of where it probably happened. Um, to go and see you know, the garden tomb, one of the, the likely places where he was buried. And then, it's empty, by the way. Uh, and then to go to uh, Jerusalem and to see uh, where... You know, where so many of these things uh, happened, it was just an incredible thing. And, and I knew, again, uh, going there would be a chance to, to learn something, but, but I was really going for more than that. And, and the weeks leading up to it, I was praying this prayer over and over again. Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. If there's anywhere in the world you can see Jesus, surely it's right here, right? In, in the Holy Land, in Israel, uh, where he literally, you know, walked the planet. And I knew that by going there, there, there had to be something by, you know, feeling the dirt, and, uh, you know, experiencing the sun on your face and, you know, getting your feet wet in the Sea of Galilee there and, you know, smelling, you know, the food and tasting it and, and being able to, to hear the silence in the garden and the noisy streets of Jerusalem. I just, I just knew by going there it would be a, an experience to not just learn more. Because like some of you, I've got degrees in Bible. I've gone from church. I, I've studied the Bible. I've studied Jesus. I know Jesus in that way. But I was really hopeful that by going there I could see him. I could see him in a, in a whole new way and have an experience, have an experience with him. So the, the whole time I'm just praying this prayer, Jesus, I want to see you. Because there is a difference between knowing all about a place and actually going to a place, right? You, you know this. You get this. A few years ago, my wife and I, we wanted to take our kids to Disney. And I know some parents, uh, when they plan this trip and they make these plans, they, you know, wake their kids up the morning up and, hey, pack your bags. We're going. Get in the car. We're getting on the plane. We're going to go. But we thought it'd be more fun to have the whole lead-up and the build-up to the trip. So we told them, you know, a couple of months in advance, hey, we've been talking about this for a long time. Mom and Dad have saved the money. We're ready for the trip. And in those months and those weeks leading up to the trip, it was a lot of fun because we did. We, we studied about Disney World. We were looking up YouTube videos about the rides. We're hmm. figuring out what we're going to do and where we're going to go and what day we're going to do what. But I'll tell you, if we had stopped there and learned all we could about going to Disney World and not gone, that would have, that's different. There's something different about knowing all about a place and actually going to a place. And I'll tell you, going for me, it really ignited a fire in me. Um, you know, we plan lots of trips to lots of places. Um, now, I wish there was more of a fire inside of us to go and see where our Savior lived, where he died, and where he rose again, and to walk in that dirt, and to see where it all happened. Because there's something about seeing it that makes it just come to life in a beautiful in a beautiful way. So Sunday morning, uh, my wife and I get up and we, uh, we, we get to the airport there and we take a flight from DFW to Boston. Uh, we have a layover there for a little bit and get some dinner and then we get on a plane that flies from Boston to Tel Aviv, 10 hour flight, long flight. And the whole time I'm just praying, you know, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. We get off the, uh, the plane and, um, you know, we're dog tired. We get our bags uh, we find our bus, they take us to dinner and then to our hotel, and that's where we kind of just crash for the night because we're just absolutely exalted, uh, exhausted. Not exalted, that's a weird word. Exhaust, exhausted, uh, the exact opposite of that. Uh, we're so tired and uh, crash. The next morning we wake up and it's a new day. We're so excited. It begins. This is the beginning of the whole deal, right? We're here in Israel. And I'm praying this prayer, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. And you know, we go get breakfast, and then after that, you're assigned to a bus, and we're assigned to a group that we're going to spend a week with as we travel from place to place all over Israel to get to uh, see these different sites and experience this different, the, the whole thing. And I'm praying the whole time, Jesus, I want to see you. 
And then uh, each bus is assigned uh, a tour guide, someone who lives in Israel. This is their job. They go with groups and they take you around. They show you all the stuff and they give you all the information. They tell you all about it. And, and our, 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 our tour guide, his name is Yoel. And get this. He looks just like Jesus, doesn't he? I mean, he's got glasses and all, but besides that, I was like, oh my word, here we are, day one of the trip, and I'm seeing Jesus. Uh, not really. As good as Joel is, he's not Jesus, but uh, it just it blew, it blew me away that day. Uh, he's such a nice guy. The cool thing about Yoel, and I've been on other trips and, and had a different experience, but with Yoel, uh, he, he lives in Israel, and he's Jewish, but he's a believer in Jesus. He's a follower. And so it was an incredible experience for us to travel and to to follow him as we learned and as we made our way through the land. I want to ask you this question, though. What would change in your world if you could see this Jesus to whom we pray and sing and have given our very lives? What would change in your world if you could see Jesus? See, here's what I think happens. It happens for me. I think it happens for all of us. We live, we live really busy, really distracted, really complicated lives. And a lot of us believe in Jesus, but if I were to ask you, when's the last time you saw him? When's the last time you saw him at work in your life? When's the last time you had one of those stories, and it was one of those only God stories? If you're anything like me, sometimes it's hard to come up with those stories, because while we believe in him, and we try to build our lives on his teachings, and we gather with other believers week in and week out, sometimes, if we're just being honest, we don't, we don't really see him. And we don't always see the evidence of him in our lives. Sometimes we pray prayers and they're not always answered the way we think or the way we want them to be answered, right? And we live in a world that says seeing is believing and so many people don't believe because they can't see. And what happens for us is, is we don't mean to, but we start falling into that same trap. We just haven't seen it in a while. And we don't mean to stop believing and we haven't stopped believing, but... Man, we wish we could see. And so what happens is Jesus becomes someone that we study. He's a historical figure. He exists, and it's almost as like, it's like we've gone to the museum to look at him through the glass, right? And we're going to study him. We're going to know all about him because if we can't see him, at least we can learn all we can learn, and we can know all we can know about him. But I'm just wondering if there's more. The good news, and you know this, is that we serve a God who wants us to see his son. In fact, God so loved the world that he didn't want us just to believe in him. He wanted us to see him. Um, Jesus came, and one of the things he did over and over and over and over again throughout his ministry was heal the blind. So what if he could heal our blindness? What if we, what if we could? What if we could see him? And what if we prayed this prayer, Jesus, we want to see you. What would happen in our lives if we started praying that simple breath prayer over and over again? Jesus, we want to see you. Jesus, open our eyes. Help us to see you. So what I want to do today, uh, just in the, the, the few minutes we have together, and I'll try to let you out early because I know we're all in a lunch coma, um, is to go to the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can open that up. It'll, it'll be on the screen as well since we have this with us. I want to start in Matthew 4, and then we're going to transition quickly to Matthew 20. Uh, what Matthew does as he tells a story is he, he begins by setting up uh, what Jesus does uh, from the very moment his ministry began. And he says this in, in the beginning of Matthew, verses 23 and 24. 
He says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sicknesses or diseases, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. So when Jesus came and when Jesus started his ministry, he, he really started uh, on two fronts. One, announcing, teaching, telling the people, hey, the kingdom of God is here. It's happening. It's coming. This is what it's going to be like. He came and he, he came with a message to tell people, this is what the kingdom of God is like. But he didn't stop there. Then he demonstrated what it's like. And the way he demonstrated it was by setting right everything that, that had gone wrong. You know, before sin entered the picture, no one ever got sick. No one ever got a cold. No one ever got the flu. No one had allergies. No one died from cancer, you know. And now Jesus enters the world, and, and one of the first things he does as he begins his ministry is not just to tell people what the kingdom of God is like. He wants to show them what the kingdom is, of God is like. And so what does he do? He starts healing everyone who's sick. He wants to make right what's gone wrong. He wants to make things the way they're supposed to be. And so he comes in as a healer. And in fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, if my numbers are right, and you can fact check me on this, I, I, I could be off by one or two, but I think there's 20 different miracles in the Gospel of Matthew. 13 of those are healing miracles. Six of those, on six different occasions, Jesus heals the blind. Jesus came, and what did he want to do? He wanted people to see him, to see him, to see who he was, to make everything right. And this, by the way, you know this. This is what Isaiah said would happen in Isaiah 35. He said this, when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. So when Jesus came, this is what he came to do. He came to open the eyes of the blind to make right everything that had gone wrong. So now fast forward to Matthew 20. One of the first miracles Jesus did, and you can check this earlier, was to heal the blind. But the last miracle that Jesus did, not counting the resurrection, um, was to heal the blind. In Matthew 20, we have, we have this amazing story. And, and you may have heard this story before. You've probably read it like I have, you know, a million times. But I want to walk through it again with you today because I want to ask this question. What if, what if we prayed the prayer uh, that these men prayed in this text as Jesus approached these two blind men. In Matthew 20, Matthew tells the story this way, starting in verse 29. It says, As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Now, uh, if, you're, if you're like me, you grew up and you heard, you've heard about the story of Jericho. Jericho is where you know, Joshua you know, first led the people uh, uh, to the promised land. They come to Jericho, and, and then Joshua has this moment with the commander-in-chief of the, you know, the God of angel armies, and he says, hey, this is your plan of attack. This is your battle plan. You know, you don't need spears. You don't need weapons. You don't need artillery. You're going you're gonna to walk around the city of Jericho every day for seven days, and the seventh day you're going to do it again, and then the walls are going to fall down, and that's your battle plan. And this is not normally how we fight our battles, but this is how you're going to fight this battle. And, of course, they did, and that day, on that seventh day, when they you know, follow the instructions of God, the walls fell down. Now Jesus is right here outside of Jericho. You know, Joshua is the, is the Hebrew word, Yeshua, Jesus. So here's Jesus now again, a thousand years later, a little more. 
and he's outside the walls of Jericho, and he meets these, uh, well, before he meets these blind men, he's got these, this large crowd following behind. And I think this is interesting because at this point, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's 18 miles away. And these people, they believe they have found their Messiah. And so what are they doing? They're following him. They are a part of the procession. They're going to follow Jesus from Jericho all the way to Jerusalem so they can evict you know, the powers that be there, the Roman emperor and you know, everyone that's there that represents the oppression they're under. And they're going to inaugurate the reign of their new king of Jesus, Messiah. They believe they have found the Messiah, but don't miss this. They're following the Jesus they want to follow, right? They see Jesus the way they want to see him. They don't see him for who he really is, but they're following their version of Jesus, their version of Messiah. And I bring that up just to push pause for a second. I think it's something we have to ask ourselves. What version of Jesus are you following, right? When we see Jesus, who do we really see and who is it that we're really, that we're really following? Despite his repeated announcements and predictions that he's going there to die, you know, they don't listen to any of that. They see Jesus, and they want to follow him, and they want to be a part of the procession all the way to Jerusalem. So, two blind men were sitting beside the road, and when they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Right? There's two people not much different than you and I might see walking down the side of the road, right? Uh, they're blind, two blind beggars. They've been... Mar- marginalized by their culture. They've been devalued because of their dis- disability. They're invisible to everyone around them. They couldn't see those around them, and those around them wouldn't see them. And what's interesting is that these two blind men couldn't see, but they could hear. And when they heard that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, what do they do? They make their presence known, and they cry out. And did you see what they said? Lord, Son of David... That's what they call Jesus. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Of course, that's a messianic title, right? So the only two people there who couldn't see were the only two people there who actually could see exactly who Jesus was. This is what uh, Jeremiah said about Jesus, or the Messiah. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. These two blind men, they see Jesus for who he is. This is the son of David. And they call out to him with this messianic title. The only two people there who couldn't see are the only two people there who could see exactly who Jesus was. And they knew, they believed, that he could do what Isaiah said he could do. That he could open their eyes. That he could make right what had gone wrong. And so they began crying out to Jesus. And I think that's important too because if you didn't know this, crying out to God is a really powerful thing way to pray. And in fact, I think it's a really scriptural way to pray. That if you want to pray to Jesus, it's okay to cry out. Most of the Psalms, you understand, they weren't read silently. They were always performed publicly. They were always cried out. Of course, the crowd, when they heard the two blind men, their response wasn't one of compassion. They said, be quiet. But that just made them shout all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and he called, what do you want me to do for you? 
Now, if you're anything like me, when you get to this point in the story, you're probably thinking, why in the world did Jesus ask that question? Everybody else probably knew what these blind beggars wanted, or did they? Maybe the reason Jesus asked the question was to clarify that for everybody there, because, because they could have thought that what they were asking for was spirit change. They're asking for money. They're asking for help. That, that could have been what they were asking for, but Jesus knew they were asking for something much more than money, right? And so he asked them that question, but I think he asked them not just to clarify for the crowd. I think he asked them for a different reason. And you could push back on this, but I think it's true. I really think he did want them to give voice to their desire, for them to put words around their request. And it's a, it's a powerful question, right? I mean, if you were to come face-to-face with Jesus right now and Jesus were to ask you, call you by name and say, what do you want me to do for you? One thing, name it. What would you say? Isn't that a powerful question? Yeah. It's also a powerful spiritual exercise. I don't know if you've ever done this. This is, this is one way to go about coming up with your own breath prayer is to, is to get somewhere quiet. You've got to turn off your devices and you know, put them in you know, another room. And get really still and really quiet, really alone with God. And then just imagine him, visualize him sitting right there in in front of you. And imagine him calling you by name. And hear him ask you, what do you want me to do for you? And whatever that is, whatever that is that comes up in you, whatever that is that rises to the top for you, let that become your breath prayer. Let that become that, that one sentence prayer that you say over and over again, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Make me brave. Or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, heal my body. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, fix my marriage or help my kids. Whatever it is for you, I don't know, but, but it's a really powerful spiritual practice to sit alone with Jesus and use this story and imagine Jesus asking you that question, calling you by name and asking you that question, what do you want me to do for you? And then whatever that is, let that become a breath prayer for you. Jesus asked these two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and instantly they could see, and then they followed him. And if you can, I want you to just try to, in your mind's eye, imagine this moment for these blind men. They're blind. They're sitting in the heat of the Jericho sun. Jesus of Nazareth comes walking by. They get his attention, and lo and behold, they get an audience with him. And he asks them this question, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, Lord, we want to see. And what does he do? He opens their eyes. And what is the very first thing that they see? Jesus. Wow. Wow. The very first thing they see is the son of David, is the Messiah. And they didn't just see him. What did they do? They followed him. You can't really see Jesus and not follow this guy, right? They see Jesus and they follow him. What's really interesting about this story, you know this, the story of Jesus was told by four different people, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of someone being healed outside of Jericho. What's interesting, though, Matthew says it was two guys Mark and Luke, they say that Jesus healed one guy, right? And what's even more interesting is that Mark gives us the name of that one guy. They call him, Mark calls him Bartimaeus. 
Now, there's a couple of possibilities here, and you can probably figure this out. Uh, either, either all these authors are talking about the same story, but just telling their version of it and, and the way they remembered it or saw it or, or the way it fit into their story of Jesus. Or they're telling you know, different stories because we know that Jesus did, according to John, so much more than can ever be written. So either scenario is possible and plausible, but it's not unlikely that they're all talking about the exact same moment when Jesus is outside of Jericho healing these blind men. But if that's true, doesn't that raise some questions? But for one, why in the world did Mark give us his name? Why did Mark give us the name Bartimaeus? You realize this, we rarely, if ever, get the name of anyone Jesus ever healed. That, that doesn't happen. But here in this moment, we get the name Bartimaeus. But we don't get the name of the other man, and we don't even know that he exists, according to Mark and to Luke. So, so what happened to that guy? Where, where did he go? Where's the rest of his story? You know, I wonder, was, was it, is it possible that, that this moment outside of Jericho had such a profound impact on the life of Bartimaeus that after that day, he started following Jesus and he never stopped? That he became such a well-known person in the early Christian community that everybody knew Bartimaeus because he could not stop talking about the day Jesus healed him and opened his eyes. He couldn't shut up about it. So everybody knew it. So when Mark's writing the story, he's like, oh yeah, that guy, Bartimaeus. Everybody knows Bartimaeus. We all know the story because he will not stop talking about the day that Jesus did this incredible thing in his heart and in his life. That, that's one possible scenario. I don't know. But if that's true, then what did happen to the other guy? Where did he go? Did he see Jesus that day and, and started following him? But at some point, the memory of what Jesus did in his life that day began to fade. Has that ever happened for you? You remember the day you first saw Jesus or you got really excited and it all clicked for you, what you knew in your head, connected with, with, with what you knew in your heart, and, and this explosion happened inside of you and you just knew it was like he was sitting next to you. You knew him so well. But then over time, life happens. Again, we live busy, distracted, complicated lives. And over time, for whatever reason, the memory of what Jesus did once upon a time in your life, it began to fade. And all of a sudden, you're still following him, but you're just not following him as, as close. You ever done this? You're following somebody to a restaurant or to, the, to a thing, you know, you're going. And, and I do this all the time, if you don't know me very well, which most of you don't. Um, I'm terrible with directions. And so if we're going somewhere and it's a, it's a carpool situation, I want to be following somebody. But let me tell you, I've got a terrible track record. Nine times out of 10, I will end up following the wrong car. Like there'll be another car like that car and I'm going to follow that car and I'm going to end up very far away from where I'm supposed to be. And you're going to call me and say, where are you? I'm right behind you. No, you're not. <laughs> this happens to us, right? We start following him, but then we're not following as closely as we should. And then we lose track of where he is. And we're not praying as often. We're not opening scripture as often. We're not. I mean, when's the last time you lost yourself in worship? When's the last time you just remember feeling close to the man you call Savior? These two blind men, they come to Jesus and they say, we want to see. And Jesus opens their eyes and they follow him. And I guess what I want to say to you today is 
that's what Jesus wants for you and me too. He wants to open our eyes so we can see his face and follow his lead. I really believe that's true. Jesus wants to open our eyes so we can see his face and follow his lead. That's what he wanted for us. That's what he wanted for them. But what he really wants, he really wants you to be Bartimaeus. He wants your life to be so changed by what he's done in your life that you never stop following and you can't stop talking about the day that Jesus did what he did for you. The first time I started praying this prayer, I was, it was several years ago. I had, I had walked through this breath prayer exercise we just talked about a few minutes ago. And, and if you've ever done this exercise, uh, what happens for most people that I do this with is um, whatever the first thing you come up with in that breath prayer exercise, that's normally not going to be your breath prayer. You think it is, and it is for a week or so, for two weeks. And then you figure out, oh, no, no, there's a, there's a deeper level to that. And so then you think, okay, I got it. I know what my breath prayer is now. And you start praying that. And then a week or two goes by, and you're like, oh, no, that's what I did. It's really right here. And then finally, you know, the Spirit does something inside of you, and you keep kind of dropping anchor until you get to where it really is that prayer. And for me, this was, this was it, Jesus, I want to see you. And I started praying this prayer over and over again. And summer came, and I found myself on a plane uh, with 40 teenagers going to Mexico on a mission trip. Uh, going to uh, Ensenada on a mission trip. And I love this trip because every year when we did this trip, we got to go into the community and work uh, with, with the people there who are part of the church and with people around that area and uh, share uh, Jesus with them, but also do some real hands-on ministry, you know, take food uh, to different people, uh, get into their homes, and we would take time to sing in English and Spanish and, and pray with every family and really try to minister in every home. And I love that. And so we're going to this, this community called Colonia 89. And I've been there so many times before. I had relationships with, with people in that, in, that, in that village, in that place. And we came to a house I hadn't been to before. And we, we get out of the vans, and we bring the food up, and we meet this man, and he's, he's an older gentleman. And, and uh, we're talking to him. We're getting to know his story a little bit. And we're like, can we pray for you? He's like, absolutely. He spoke a little bit of broken English. So we gather around him, and, and you can just imagine if you can see this. Just All of us were just around him, probably about 15 or 20 of us, laying hands on this gentleman and just, just crying out to God for him, praying for him. And we get done, and we think we're done, and he says, hey, can you pray for my brother too? My brother, my brother, doesn't, know, my brother doesn't know God. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. Would you pray for him? We're like, absolutely. So we just think we're going to say a quick prayer for his brother and, and move on. But, he's, but he leaves. We're like, well, where are you going? He goes back in his house, and he pulls his brother out, and he brings him right there in front of us. And so we gather back around, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? We're praying for this guy. He's going to think we're strange or weird or crazy or something. But we lean back in, and we've got hands on both of them, and we're, we're praying for him, for God to do something in his life, for him to help, help him see Jesus. And, and uh, it's a powerful moment. And that was, that was like Monday of the trip, right? So we get done there. We pack up. We go back. The next day we come, we do it again, different places, different houses, pack up, come back. Wednesday comes, we go back into Colonia 89, we do it all again, different people, pack up. We get done a little bit early, and so we've got a little time to kill, so we just go back to the, the church there in Colonia 89 to, to hang out for a minute and kind of just catch our breath. Really just trying to kill some time before we have to go back and meet up with the whole group. And I walk outside, and I, and I look down the dusty road, and I see this older man we prayed for on Monday. If you can imagine this, it's, it's high noon. I mean, it's the heat of the day. He's dressed in a full suit, like three-piece suit, top to bottom. 
and he's running down the, uh, like uphill uh, on this dirt road. And so I'm thinking, something's wrong, right? And so I just, I just tear off towards him, and I catch up to him, and he's like, you know, bent over, <laughs> breathing. And I'm like, dude, what is going on? Are you okay? I said all that in Spanish. You can believe that if you want. <laughs> and uh, he said, it's, uh, it's my brother. I'm like, what's wrong? Is he okay? He's like, he's great. He wants to be baptized. Can you baptize him? I'm like, absolutely. I mean, we prayed for this guy on Monday. Here it is Wednesday. Man, God works quick. It was crazy. And so sure enough, uh, he goes back to his house, and we send a van over there to pick him and his brother up, bring him back. We get the preacher from the church to come over, because that's where the connection needs to be anyway. And we get all that set up, and we gather in that church that day, and it was just this beautiful, holy moment. It's just this man we had prayed for on Monday has now come into this relationship. He's seen Jesus, and he's being baptized that day, and it was just it was holy. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Well, fast forward to the end of the week, and now we're on the plane flying back from San Diego to uh, Atlanta, wherever we were going. And uh, after the, the plane reached its cruising altitude or whatever they call that, I, I kind of walked through the plane and I gave everybody on our trip uh, a paper and a pen or a pencil. And I said, hey, I, what I want you to do is just write down, you know, one story from the week, one way you saw God at work, just one memory that was a highlight for you. And, and I did the same thing. So I sat down and I began writing this story. And as I, as I did, I, I remembered that the man, the older man that we had prayed for to begin that day, on that Monday, his name was Jesus. In English, Jesus. And I'm thinking, I've been praying for months and months, Jesus, I want to see you. And here he is, I saw him. He's Hispanic, by the way. And uh, we got to pray together and see his brother, someone that he loved, someone that Jesus loved, come into a relationship with Jesus. And I'll tell you, I don't know, we were cruising at 30,000 feet, but I was a hot mess. I was in a ball of tears as I realized and praying this prayer. And here it was, we had literally on our trip seen Jesus work a powerful miracle in this man's life. Fast forward to just a few months ago, the last time I prayed this breath prayer, and I knew going to Israel, there was going to be a chance to see Jesus. So I prayed every day, Jesus, again, if there's anywhere I can see you, it's going to be in Israel. It's got to be, right? And so every day I'm praying, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. And to be honest, as the trip kind of went on, nothing was happening, and I was getting a little disappointed because I wanted something to happen. You ever, you know, have that? You know, like, you know, yeah. like, really, come on, God. I really want to see something. I want to have a story. I want to know. I want to see. And, but nothing, and you can't make that happen. And so you've got to let it come to you. And so I just kept praying that prayer. The last day, uh, we're in Jerusalem. And we're walking along the Via Della Rosa. And if you know the Via Della Rosa, this is the Stations of the Cross. This is, you know, where they say different things happen along the journey that Jesus made carrying the cross to Calvary. It's, it's, it's more of a tradition. This was marked out years after the time of Jesus. But it's a pretty special thing to kind of walk along and think, you know, is this the place where, you know, Jesus met Simon the Cyrene who carried his cross for him? Is this the point where he saw the women? Is this the point where this happened or that happened. So we're walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and, and honestly, uh, Jerusalem, is just wherever you go, it's, it's not easy to walk. Uh, you know, millions of pilgrims come every year, so the, the cobblestone, the, the, the stone you know, roads, it's all smooth, it's really slick, it's hard to walk on. And it feels like, it's kind of like here at Pepperdine, it doesn't matter which way you walk, you're going uphill. No. You know, it's like everywhere you go, it's uphill. Uh, there's an older gentleman in our group, his name is, is Steve, and he's a retired teacher. Um, he's had both hips replaced. And we're walking up this hill to the streets of Jerusalem on the Via Della Rosa, and I can see that he's struggling. 
And I've only known Steve for a few days on this trip. I didn't know him before. We've gotten to know each other and eat together and pray together and be together. So I walk up behind him. I told Alicia, I was like, I'm going to go check on Steve. He's, he's, he's kind of struggling up this hill. I mean, we all are, but he really is. So I walk up and I, and I put my hand on his shoulder. And I'm like, Steve, are, are you okay? You know, do, you, do you need any help? And I'll never forget, he looked me right in the eye. And he says, I am doing just fine. I don't have to carry a cross up this hill. <laughs> yeah, tears filled my eyes again. I saw Jesus and my friend Steve in that moment because he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. Because he knew he was there to walk in the footsteps of his Savior. So I don't know what would happen for you, but I, I would want to invite you to step into either this prayer or a prayer like it, whatever it needs to be for you. Because I have come to believe that Jesus wants us to see him at work. I've come to believe that God wants, us, wants to give us those, those only God stories. I think, I think somewhere along the way in our churches, we've stopped believing. I think somewhere along the way, in our families, we've stopped hoping. Maybe it's because we've prayed for things and they haven't just worked out the way we wanted them to. Maybe it's because we live in an increasingly post-Christian culture and we just feel it, you know? We, we feel it. We're praying for our children. We're praying for our grandchildren. We're praying for our churches. We want to see spiritual and numerical growth, but, but the decline keeps happening and it seems like the world is spiraling further and further away from God. So what happens is we just stop hoping Really? We stop believing? Really? We live in a world that says seeing is believing, but in God's economy, believing is seeing. Thomas Merton once said, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but he said something like this. He said that we can see Jesus in the unseen, and we can know him in the unknowing. I think there's a place for us to come to, a quiet place, where we can see Jesus. And I really do believe he wants to give us those moments where we can see his hand at work and to see that he's alive. He's a historical figure, but he's more than that. He's not something to be studied in a museum. He's more than that. Because he died, he was buried, but he rose again. And because he rose again, he's alive. And we can know him, and we can see him, and we can experience him, and we can have a relationship with him. And I believe what the world needs is believers who have seen Jesus. Not a group of believers that just know all about him. But a group of believers who have seen him and who know him in that way and can share him. All right, I promise I will get you out early. Let me pray for us and then we'll be done. God, you are so good and your love endures forever. And God, it's, it's my prayer today that you would open our eyes so we could see your face and follow your lead. God, I realize that prayer is, is not a prayer for an easy road ahead. Even on that day as those two blind men prayed that prayer, um, they followed you 18 miles all the way to Jerusalem. And Jesus, you were headed toward the cross. So the path before them was not an easy one. But they followed you anyway. And God, I pray the same for us, uh, that you would help us to follow you despite what difficulties come our way, despite whatever pain we may experience or suffering, we endure.
Father, may we see you and may we have the faith to follow you wherever it is you lead us. God, like Joshua, marching around the city of Jericho some thousand years before, as he saw the walls fall down, Father, may we see the walls fall down around our hearts, around our lives, around our eyes, the same way these blind men saw the walls fall down so they could see. Father, may we be able to see in the same way, to see your Son, and to know him, to not just know about him, but to know him. And through seeing him and through knowing him, Father, may we have the courage to follow him. To follow him all the way to the cross, if necessary, because we know on the other side of that cross is resurrection. God, that's my prayer through Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a blessed day. Thank you.